Um, if you are new to Jacob's Well, my name is Dan Jackson. I'm the planting pastor of Jacob's Well. And we are so excited to have you guys here with us this morning. We're going through a series uh, in the book of Galatians, and it's called Freedom from Religion. And the reason why we chose this is because we believe that one of the biggest obstacles to people connecting with Jesus Christ is religion. Uh, that's part of this study with the prodigal son, is there's an older brother who is so religious that he never connects with his father. And so we actually looked at some statistics last week that showed Wisconsin and Green Bay might be the most religious city and state in the country. And uh, it, it keeps people from God. And so that's why we're studying that this morning. Quick story for you. Uh, if you're new here, you're going to be disappointed with me already. I'm just warning you. Uh, last week, I was on the phone with my friend Tim Ficker, and we were talking, and I told him about how we we're now giving our tithe online. It's directly deposited, so we don't have to worry about a check. We don't have to, you know, because we'll lose it with all the kids that we have. And he says, what, what about a few years ago? I remember us talking, and you said... And I always hate it when people say that. You said, you said that you would never do direct deposit because you felt like it was not as worshipful to you. And it's true. I did say that to him. I did say, you know, there's something about taking a check, looking at the money and saying, boy, I could do a lot of things for myself with this money, but it belongs to God and I'm going to worship him with it and then put it in the offering plate. Well, we do direct deposit now, Trish and I do, in case you were wondering. And uh, I, I, Tim said, well, what happened to that? Because that that's what you said back then, but now you're doing something different now. And I, I just, I was backed into a corner and I said, Tim, I'm a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. I believe one thing, but I do something else. And I have a lot of excuses, you know, like three children that we have to carry in, things like that. But I'm a hypocrite. And what you see is that in the Christian church, there is plenty of hypocrisy. Uh, if there isn't, as soon as you show up to the church, there will be. Uh, what hypocrisy is, is hypocrisy is when you believe something, but you act contrary to it. So you believe one thing, but you do something different. And honestly, daily, we struggle with hypocrisy. Let me give you some examples. I think if I polled everyone here, I think all of you would raise your hands if I said that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. All of you would say, yes, that's right, that's true, that's good. We should love our neighbors. That's something that God calls us to do. But in reality, do you love your neighbors? Do you love all of your neighbors. If I stood on my front doorstep, I could look and see four or five houses of people that I don't even know their first name, to be honest with you. And uh, maybe I'm the only one, but we're hypocrites. Uh, even you look and see that we would all probably agree that it's good to be righteous, to live good and moral lives. We believe that. And yet, in our daily conduct, in our thoughts, and in our heart, and in our words, and in our deeds, many times we're hypocrites. And so, welcome to Jacob's Well, all you hypocrites. It's good to have you here. I'm a hypocrite too. And so, we're glad that we can join together and hopefully see how the gospel can help us correct some of our hypocrisy. We're going to look at a passage today. If you would, open up to uh, Galatians chapter 2. 
verse 11 through 16. And we're going to see a very, very serious case of hypocrisy. More serious than anything that I had already, that I've already talked about and confessed to you. It's, it's a great case of Christian hypocrisy. If you've not been with us so far, let me review just a little bit. Paul became a Christian about three years after Jesus died and rose from the dead. He was confronted by Jesus on the way to Damascus. And during that time, Jesus revealed the gospel to him, the good news of his death for Paul's salvation. And so Paul goes and he plants churches in the region of Galatia with the gospel that God has given to him, the good news of Jesus Christ. And as he goes through and he plants these various churches, he goes back home and when he's at home, he hears about false teachers who, who have come into the churches in the region of Galatia and have, have discredited Paul's gospel. They said, yeah, you know, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. And Paul is angry. And so he writes this book of Galatians to those churches so that they might know that his gospel is valid, that it's true. And he proves it in two ways. One way is by showing that it was God who revealed it to him and not man. And he proves this by showing how for 14 years after his conversion, he never sat under the teachings of the apostles. Everything he had was from God, and he was preaching the gospel for 14 years before he ever talked to the apostles. The second thing that sort of confirmed his gospel message was that he went um, to the apostles after 14 years, and he took this guy named, named uh, let's see, is it Titus? Yeah, Titus with him. And we talked about this last week, but Titus was an uncircumcised Gentile. And he brings Titus with him to Jerusalem, to the apostles, to see if they have the same gospel. And so Titus is this living, breathing question. Brings him to the apostles and says, does Titus need to be circumcised to be saved? Or is it through Christ alone? Is it by Jesus alone? And the disciple and the apostles accept Titus wholeheartedly. They add nothing to Paul's gospel. And they extend to him the right hand of fellowship. Now this is very important because this is leading up to the text that we're going to study today. And in this text, we see Peter and Paul who just met, who just had this great fellowship in two verses prior, get into this amazing church conflict, this huge church conflict. Paul actually confronts Peter to his face publicly. And in the word, and says, you are a hypocrite. (laughs) You are a hypocrite. These are like two pillars of the Christian church. If you read the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, half of it is about what Peter's doing, half of it is about what Paul's doing, and all of it's about what God is doing. But these are pillars of the Christian church. And you see this major conflict where Paul confronts Peter to his face. And he says that they're hypocrites, that... Peter and the other Jews are hypocrites because their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Their actions didn't match their beliefs. That's where we are. So let's, if you would, read along with me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 16. But when Cephas, who's Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, who's Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet you know that a person is not justified by works or the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage, which honestly is a little bit confusing for 20th century Americans to read. God, pray that you would help us to apply this to our hearts, that we would indeed be people that walk in step with the truth of the gospel, Lord. I pray that you would transform our hearts and transform our lives so that it is true and all for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So Paul comes to Peter and publicly to his face calls him a hypocrite. And so what we want to look at today is how do we walk in step with the truth of the gospel? How are we supposed to walk according to the way that God has told His good news? He has, he has brought good news. What does that mean for us as Christians today? And even for those of you who maybe are not Christians but are trying to understand who Jesus is. And what we're going to see, to walk in step with the truth of the gospel means a few things. One, it means fellowship with outsiders. It means fearlessness of men and faith in Christ. Fellowship with others, fearlessness of men, and faith in Christ. We'll probably actually only get to the first two points today, and we'll cover that third one next week. But let's start with fellowship with outsiders. If you would, um, if you're new here, keep your Bibles open. The verses will probably be up here as well, but at Jacob's Well, we love the Bible, and we try to try to get all our teaching from it, and so you're not hearing clever ideas from Dan, but you're hearing the Word of God. And so read along with me, if you would, as we go through this. So first we're looking at fellowship with outsiders. Verse 12 says this, For before certain men came from James... He, being Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. And when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. The Gentiles were non-Jews. That's what a Gentile is. Most of us in here are Gentiles, unless you're Jewish. And the view of the Gentiles at that time by the Jews was that these were unclean, dirty, second-class citizens, that the Jews was a superior race, and that everyone was secondary. And so they had rules such as, like, you couldn't use the same utensils as the Gentiles. You couldn't eat with them. You couldn't fellowship with them. It even says in in Acts that... um, that they actually said that they were not even allowed to be around them in whatever way, shape, and form. And so, because of that, this group comes and they say to Peter that he has... uh, Sorry, this group comes and they say to Peter, you cannot eat with the Gentiles anymore because they're uncircumcised, they're unclean. You need to break fellowship with them. Now, let's back up a little bit. For ten years... After Christ died and rose again, Peter lived in this mentality 
that he was not to associate with the Gentiles, that he was not to, to connect with them, to talk with them, to do business with them. He wasn't to do anything with the Gentiles for 10 years. This is what the Apostle Peter believed. And finally, God confronts him on it. And this story happens in Acts chapter 10, and it's really important for what we're studying today. But what happens is that Peter is in Joppa, and he goes up on his roof. And while he's on his roof, it says he's hungry, he has a vision, okay? And he has this vision of the sheet being lowered down from heaven. And on this sheet are all these animals, tasty animals, that were illegal for him to eat under the old ceremonial Jewish law. They were unclean is what they called them. And so the Lord lowers down this sheet in this vision. And then he says to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And the Lord repeats this vision three times just to work it in Peter's heart. Peter was kind of a stubborn guy like me. And so the Lord gave him this vision three times. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter responds to him and says, Lord, I can't. They're unclean. But he says, rise, kill and and eat. And the Lord goes on to tell Peter, there's some men coming. Go with them. Without hesitation, just go with them. And so these men come and they grab Peter and they say, you know, we're sent by this man named Cornelius. Would you come with us? And so Peter goes with these men to Cornelius' household. And when he's at Cornelius' house, Cornelius is a Gentile, an uncircumcised Gentile. This is what Peter says to him. I don't think it's very friendly, but this is what he says to him. He says, You yourself know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So what I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And so Cornelius asked Peter to share his faith with him. And Peter walks through the gospel of Jesus Christ with Cornelius and his household and all his friends who came over to hear from Peter. And it says the Holy Spirit comes upon the household and they're saved. And Peter baptizes them into the one Christian church. Gentiles. I mean, this doesn't seem crazy to us. But to them, this was radically different. Gentiles were coming into the church. And Peter stayed for a few days to fellowship with them, to eat with them, to to stay in their house, to, to communicate with them. Something that was radically different than the customs of the day. And so Peter shares with them the gospel. They come to know Christ, and he begins to fellowship with them. I'm told that this is kind of like the movie Avatar and Pocahontas. I haven't seen either, but stories about two people groups that can't get together, that can't get along, and then eventually they start befriending one another. And so this is what happens between the Jews and the Gentiles, that Peter discovers, okay, I'm supposed to eat, I'm supposed to fellowship with these Gentiles. But now, fast-forwarding back to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 12, Peter was rejecting fellowship with the Gentiles. The circumcision group comes, Peter is afraid, And he starts rejecting fellowship. He won't eat with them. He separates from them. And he's treating them again like they're inferior. Some of you may have heard of a legal doctrine by the United States called the separate but equal um, legal argument. It it was added to the Constitution so that blacks and whites would not have to use the same facilities, but they would have separate 
but equal facilities to use. Now, you and I both know that those facilities probably were not very equal, but they wanted to segregate the two. They wanted to keep them apart because the blacks were seen as an inferior race to the whites. And this is a horrible, horrible crime. And the church promoted much of this and has had to repent greatly because of it. But you see, that, as well as what Peter was doing, was not walking in step with the truth of the gospel. They were not doing what God had called them to. They were segregating. They were separating into different tribes. You may ask, what does fellowship with outsiders? Because we said, you know, how do we walk in step with the truth of the gospel? And we said, one way is fellowship with outsiders. Outsiders could be people that are new that walk through the doors. It could be people of a different race, of a different age. It could be people that you normally wouldn't hang out with. I mean, even if you look in Green Bay, you know, there are pockets where the Hispanic people hang out, where the Hmong people hang out, where the Indian people hang out. And so we separate into these different tribes and we segregate ourselves from others. But what Paul is saying is that that's not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. And here is why. Because all of us at one time were outsiders to God. All of us were enemies of God. All of us were ugly. All of us were sin-ridden. All of us were unlovely. But God, through His Son Jesus Christ, sacrificing Him at the cross paid so that we could have fellowship with Him. Isn't that amazing that God would do that for us? You know, as we confessed our hypocrisy earlier, it is amazing that God who is just, who punishes sin, would pay all that sin at the cross through His most beloved Son for you and for me so that we could have fellowship with Him. And as we realize and understand what God had done to bring us fellowship with Him, how could we possibly reject fellowship with anyone? With anyone! If God accepts them, how could we not accept them? And so we're called to this fellowship, to this this fellowship with those that would be outsiders. You know, fellowshipping would be having people into your house who, if if your neighbor saw them walking in, would be like, boy, that's kind of strange, you know? That's kind of interesting. I, I wouldn't picture those two being friends. Or when people come in the door and connecting with them and loving them and caring for them, just asking, how's life going? Connecting with outsiders is one way that we walk in step with the truth of the gospel. The other one that we're going to cover today is fearlessness of men. Fearlessness. And so not being afraid of men. And we're going to start by looking at fearfulness of men. At one time, Peter, as we said, he fellowshiped with the Gentiles. He ate with them. He even slept under the same roof as them. And he was not segregating himself from them because they were uncircumcised. But this group comes along that says, you have to segregate yourself because they're unclean, dirty Gentiles that are uncircumcised. You have to segregate yourself from them. So what changed was not Peter's theology. Peter believed, Peter knew that the Gentiles were saved, that they were his his brothers in Christ and that he should fellowship with them. But something changed. It wasn't his beliefs. Here's what changed. Look with me in verse 12. It says that Peter drew back and separated himself. Why? Fearing the circumcision party. Peter was afraid. It It was like Christian peer pressure, right? 
Get away from those people. They're dirty. They're unclean. This happens in the church all the time. People come together, Christians, into churches, and they say, oh, you don't want to go hang out with them. They're bad company. You don't want to go with them. They're bad company. But Jesus was continually hanging out with people that the religious leaders didn't approve of. All the time. But Peter was so afraid of what those people thought. He was so afraid that that they would reject him, that they would no longer fellowship with him, that he segregated himself from the Gentiles. In stark contrast to this, we see Paul. And Paul is absolutely fearless in this passage. He's fearless against men. And he's fearless against men because he fears God as he is supposed to. Verse 11 says this, But when Cephas, again that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That's fearlessness. Because he stood condemned. What he's saying here is that he stood opposed to God. And it was very clear to me. Remember, just two verses earlier, they're extending to each other the right hand of fellowship. And now Paul is opposing Peter to his face. Verse 14, But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so, publicly, maybe at a church meeting, uh, maybe in the town square, I don't know where it was, Paul publicly confronts Peter. That's fearlessness. Peter was a guy who was probably the most influential apostle at the time. Uh, He was a leader in the church. And as Paul confronted Peter, he's also confronting Barnabas, who was one of his best friends, went on a missionary journey with him, was a wonderful man. And he's also confronting the religious leaders, those men who came in that were part of the circumcision party, the ones that had, had intimidated Peter into disassociating with the Gentiles. And he confronts all these men at one time by confronting Peter. Because he was convinced that Peter was not walking in step with the truth of the gospel. You know, as we look at this, and it seems maybe to you really harsh that Paul would be confronting Peter in this way publicly, we may wonder why would he why would why would Peter why would Paul confront Peter publicly? Why not take him aside, do as it says in Matthew eighteen and go to him one on one? And there's two reasons. First is because what Peter was doing had a public ramification. People all over the place were probably disassociating themselves from Gentiles, just like Barnabas was. They were no longer eating with the Gentiles. They were no longer uh, playing with the Gentiles. They were no longer hanging out with the Gentiles, but they had all pulled back. And so Paul wanted to rebuke him publicly that all would know that this is not in step with the truth of the gospel. But the second reason is because this was a core issue. This was a central issue. If you were here last week, you may remember we drew up this little circle thing where the middle was core and then commitment and convictions. And we said the core of the gospel is worth dying for. The core of the gospel is worth fighting for. And that's what this was. It was the core of the gospel. And so he confronts him publicly that all would know that this is not the way a Christian should act. This is not the way someone should act who knows and understands the good news of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 14, I'm just going to kind of put verse 14 in my own words because it's a little bit confusing. What Paul is saying is that if even you, Peter, though you are a Jew, 
can allow yourself the freedom of ignoring Jewish traditions by eating unclean animals. You remember Peter had that dream. Peter's now eating animals and enjoying the food that was at one time unclean. He's no longer obeying the ceremonial law. He says, if you can do that, how can you make the Gentiles submit to that ceremonial law? How can you make them be circumcised when you don't even follow the ceremonial law yourself? And so... Paul's confronting Peter and he's saying, you're a hypocrite because you believe that they're saved by Christ alone, but then you're making them do all these extra things. When we see that Paul's confronted, this is a challenging thing. I don't know if you guys have ever had to confront someone on sin, confront someone in ways that they're acting uh, that's inappropriate, but this is hard to do. And a lot is at stake when you do this. A lot is at stake when you confront people who are hurting themselves, who are hurting the cause of Christ. And what we see here is amazing benefits because Paul was courageous enough, fearlessness enough to confront Peter. Because Paul confronted Peter, the truth of the gospel was preserved. Later, what we see in Acts chapter 15 is there's actually this thing called the Jerusalem Council. And they all get together and they say, does someone have to be circumcised to be saved? And the answer they come up with is, no, you don't. It's by Christ alone. It's in Christ alone that you're saved. And certainly what Paul did in confronting people, Peter, had effect on that council. And so you see the ramifications are great. When we confront people, it's sometimes the best way that we can love them and care for them. I have a good friend. His name is Chad Brewer. And I remember one time after college, I was, um, I was out to eat with Chad. And Chad said to me, Dan, I have to confront you on something. What had happened that, that Chad confronted me on is I was on staff with a ministry called Young Life. Um, if you've heard of it, by the way, Kirk Foote, who's a Young Life leader in Green Bay, is going to be coming here next week and sharing with us what God's doing through that ministry. But I was on staff with Young Life, and I was taking some college students to a retreat. And my car was full, and it was me and three other guys and a girl. And I decided, hey, let's be funny. Let's do some stuff. And so I pulled out Bible verses that are kind of have a, a sexual orientation to it that are kind of goofy. And so I had some guys read it. And I said, oh, this will be really funny. How about you guys just read this? Well, the girl that was in the car with us had... Uh, suffered some sexual abuse in the past, and it was extremely awkward for her. It was extremely painful for her that I would be doing this. And she was too ashamed, too scared to come talk to me. And so my good friend Chad comes and he tells me, Dan, you did this and it was wrong. And I said, Chad, you're right. I, I'm sorry. Thank you, for, thank you for telling me. And then I had to go and repent to this girl and tell her, I'm so sorry that I did this and I made you feel this way. And I'm so glad that Chad came to me because, honestly, I needed to be confronted. Uh, if, if my sin had just gone on, if Chad didn't love me enough to talk to me, I probably would continue doing stupid things in that way. I still do stupid things, but in that way. But he lovingly confronted me. When you confront someone, you're walking in line with the truth of the gospel because God confronts all of us. He confronts us with our sin. He calls us to repentance so that we can live a new life in Christ, so that we can be free. And so we're called to go and act as God does in confronting people and saying, listen, you're doing this in your life. I see this in your life. And it's not healthy. It's not good. And it needs to change. And so here's my two challenges for you. Number one, is there someone in your life that you need to confront? 
Probably not publicly like Peter did, like Paul did. But is there someone in your life that you need to confront, that you need to say, hey, I love you and I care for you enough to come to you and tell you that I see this going on and it's not healthy. It's not good for you. Would you please consider changing? Because I think God would want you to be free of this. Would you confront someone? For, for me, honestly, that's scary because I avoid conflict at any cost. But when God tells me to go, I try to surrender and go. And so is there someone in your life that you need to confront? Number two, are you confrontable? Would you allow people to come into your life and tell you, I see this and it needs to change. It's wrong. Would you thank them? Would you say, thank you for coming to me and telling me and loving me enough to do this? Because it takes courage for people to come to you. It takes a real friendship for someone to come to you and tell you, I see this in your life, but I want you to be free of it. It needs to change. And so this week, maybe God would spark you to go and confront someone that needs to be freed from some unhealthy habits in their life. I'd encourage you to go and love and tell them, I see this and I love you enough to tell you. And you need to change. And so, how do we walk in step with the truth of the gospel as a Christian? We saw two things in this passage. First was fellowship with outsiders. The second was fearlessness of men. As Paul confronted others, we're called to go and confront for the purity of the gospel and out of love for them. Um, I'm going to skip the main point, and let me just end with this illustration. When I was in college, I was a part of a fraternity house, and as we went through pledgeship, they hazed us, and it actually was not that bad. Uh, by this time, they weren't beating us or doing any weird stuff to us. But the, most of the hazing was for the purpose of building this fellowship among the pledges, that we would grow closer together as we go through the pain and the suffering together, that we would come closer together. And so one night, I remember, they woke us up at 2 a.m. They took us down to the chapter room, which is like our meeting room, and they blindfolded us, which is pretty scary, right? They blindfolded us, and they turned us and they put us in the line and they had us put our hand on the shoulder of the person in front of us. Now, the person in the front of the line was a active, uh, a member, a brother of the fraternity house. And he had no blindfold on, but he would lead us through the house. And so we would, we would have our hands on the person in front of us and we were like this long centipede going. And as we would go up and down the stairs, it was a three-story house. So he took us all through the house and as we would go through the house, we would stay, say to the person behind us, step up, step down, depending if you're going up or down, so that we wouldn't trip and fall. And then he led us into the backyard. We had this huge backyard, led us into the backyard, across this creek and onto this trail. And as we're on this trail, the pace starts to begin, pick up. And so at first we're walking, and then we start jogging, and then we start running. And we're holding on for dear life to the person in front of us because we're blindfolded. And if we get off this path, we'll probably end up down in a ditch because it, was, it used to be a, an old railroad track. And so it, it, it cuts off at the end. And so we're going and we're going and we're going and we're holding on. And one of the people near the back of the line, they let go because they can't keep up. And they actually run into the end of a bridge, a wooden bridge, and they get this mark across their chest. And one of the active brothers who has no blindfold on picks him up and brings him back and puts him back in line with the rest of the men so that he can follow them, so that he can be in step with them. And we get to the end and we take our blindfolds off and they have this spiel for us. It's actually pretty cool. Um, but that's a picture of the Christian life. That when we would go off the trail, that when we would walk out of line with the truth of the gospel, that people would come to us, they would pick us up, and they would put us 
back in line with the truth of the Gospel. For the sake of the Gospel and for the sake of ourselves. That they would come and they would correct us and they would love us enough to do that. All of us here would be hypocrites at one time or another. All of us will be. And so we need to build a community of people that are willing to say, I need you to repent for this. This is not healthy. And we need to build a community of people who come to you and say, you need to correct this. So we all might walk in line with the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today, God. We confess to you that we are hypocrites, that we have gone astray many times, that we know what's right, and many times we can't perform it, that our actions don't match our beliefs, God. We pray that that you would send people in our lives that would confront us, that would talk to us, that we would be people who fellowship with others that are different than us, God, that we would not separate ourselves. Pray that you would help us to do that through the truth and the wonder and the amazing love of your grace, through the relationship and fellowship that we have with you that was purchased at the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the Lord's Supper, we come acknowledging that we are hypocrites, but that God has saved us, that He has redeemed us through His blood. Jesus sends out His disciples to prepare a Passover meal in Matthew 26. And once the Passover meal is prepared, Jesus transforms it into the Lord's Supper. And this is what He says in Matthew 26, 26. He says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Passover was a time to look back to deliverance. When God had delivered the people of God out of Egypt, we eat this Lord's Supper looking back to the deliverance that we have at the cross. If you're here today and you trust in Jesus Christ, if you believe the gospel that Christ died for your sins and you trust wholeheartedly in Him for your salvation, we'd encourage you to come and to take and to be nourished in your faith. If you're here today and you don't trust in Christ, we would encourage you, we would warn you lovingly sit and contemplate what it would mean to trust in Christ. When you're ready during this song, when your heart's prepared, come and take of the Lord's Supper. Um, on the outer ring, there is grape juice, and on the inner, there's wine. And so come and take.